Hi, this is Isa. And Lisa. Welcome to Internet Aesthetic. We talk about the internet, aesthetics, culture, and media. We're two Vietnamese-American women who live in a society, and we're here to analyze it. Grab a snack and hang out with us. Today, we're talking about internet literacy. What is the internet, how you navigate it, and how you can keep yourself safe from the scams and misinformation that are out there. Um, this is kind of a massive topic to take on after a three-month hiatus. Uh, we're kind of out of practice. <laughs> so we've also invited our first guest and friend, Brenda, to help us talk about it. Do you want to... Yay. Introduce yourself, Brenda. Hi, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, I'm Brenda. Compared to Isa and Lisa, I have a perpetual hiatus. <laughs> <laughs> so I will also do my best today on this very large and complicated topic. <laughs> I mean, we all don't really know what we're doing. <laughs> yeah, so I wanted to talk about this because, like, on Tumblr... A while ago, I was kind of seeing a lot of talk about card with two R's and how a lot of teenagers especially are using it as like a bio page to put a lot of their personal information on there or like what their triggers are, which like was so wild to me as someone who grew up being cautioned about stranger danger and to not put your personal information out there. But even now when like being doxxed is one of the worst things that can happen to you on the internet, it's kind of insane that people are like self-doxing. And also with the pandemic and everyone working from home or going to school from home and everything just kind of being online, I started to like read about how the internet is just inaccessible to some people, especially those who like live in rural areas or who can't afford to even have it. And I think the internet is something that a lot of people kind of just take for granted now. And we have, like, the whole world in our hands. And it's kind of, like, second nature for those of us who grew up alongside it. And especially for, like, Gen Z who have never lived in a world where the internet hasn't existed. I think we kind of think that there's, like, this older generation who generally don't understand the way the internet or, like, computers and smartphones work. Versus, like, toddlers who, like, if you put a tablet in front of them, they can, like, figure out how to navigate their way to, like, Cocoa Melon pretty quickly. <laughs> <laughs> but I think this would also be true for people who haven't really had access to the internet. And, like, recently, my grandma asked me how to, like, use her phone to translate things into Vietnamese. And so I was trying to show her how to use the Google Translate app. And it was, like, interesting because for me, it's intuitive that an X means to exit but like I've kind of realized that she doesn't make that connection in her brain like an x is just the letter x maybe yeah I was also interested in this topic because I know we mostly talk about I mean we try to put pretty like you know deep content or whatever on this podcast but we also like to have fun with like aesthetic episodes and so I thought that this was a pretty good way to start off our new season just like taking a step back and understanding like the context of the internet and how we can actually navigate it safely and just like understand it a bit more i feel like i have a lot to learn this topic especially from like you brenda who i feel like you've read up a lot more on this than me oh uh, i don't think so much it's about like reading up as much as much as it's been about like you know as you were talking about lisa just your experiences navigating the internet and seeing this disparity in information among the people who use it because, you know, growing up, there's not exactly a, like a class at school that really teaches you. I mean, I don't know, nowadays, if yeah. they teach Gen Z it and how much they go into it. Because at the end of the day, it's also just like probably millennials and above who are teaching it. And how much do they know about it since we didn't get formal education? I, I touched a little bit on it with Issa um, some previous day where we were trying to figure out like how... When you think of like internet literacy, you think of like digital literacy and like 
information. So like when you're when we're thinking about internet literacy, I realize it like ties it's like a Venn diagram that ties also into digital literacy and media literacy. And the reason why they're all interconnected is because on one hand, you need to know how the heck technology works. And then another hand, well, at the end of the day, it's people who are using these tools and we're engaging with each other. So how do other people affect other people? And that's how we can go into things like bad actors taking advantage of your information or how people are scammed, which is, you know, something prior to the internet already exists. But now they have like better tools on the internet to do this exact same thing and people are falling for the same tricks. Yeah. So, you know, and because there's that extra layer of now, you know, let's say your grandmother or my parents who don't know how to use technology well, they can easily fall into these scams just because they don't understand how technology works. And so there's this giant gap that of knowledge that I think needs to be filled. And I think the ultimate goal is like for people to be better. What's the word? Like prepared. Yeah, better prepared, more informed, more equipped on how they interact and engage with the internet. Because, you know, with any powerful tool, it has a lot of pros and then there's a lot of cons. And it's because there's people using it. There's a lot of great people in the world. And there's also a lot of really bad people in the world. And we just have to know how to avoid bad people. (laughs) Yeah, a general life skill. Yeah, general life skill. Yeah, like when I was thinking about literacy, like on one hand, like to be literate, it's like an essential skill, basically like nowadays to be able to read. And like on one hand, like learning how to read is one thing in of itself that you have to maybe be taught. But on the other hand, like interpreting what you read is a completely different thing too. Also, like Lisa, your your story reminded me about when I was learning about literacy and media studies early, early, like in the emergence of like literate societies, illiterate people thought that like literacy was magic. Like, like, what do you mean? Like, you just look at these scribbles and like, you know (laughs) what it says. And like, people thought it was like witchcraft almost. And it reminds me of like when my grandma or my mom see the things that I do on the internet. And like, when I try to teach them like how to navigate like a web browser, they think it's like magic but I think I hope in this episode I think it's really important to like demystify that and make it so it's not like some mystical like I guess like abstract thing to be able to navigate the internet safely but it's like a skill that we all feel comfortable with like I'm still like super uncomfortable like navigating those scammy like websites so (laughs) yeah I mean side note sometimes you know how you like when you look at a word long enough it stops mm-hmm. being the word and it's just like a bunch of shapes. Yeah. Like, I feel like those illiterate early society people, sometimes I'm like, why did we do this to ourselves? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I think maybe a good place to start is just defining what the internet is, which <laughs> was really interesting to me just because, again, we like kind of take it for granted and I don't think we really think about what the internet is. It, it just is. And so, like, I was looking it up. The internet is a global network of computers and electronic devices that can be used to access information, communicate with others, and more. And then the World Wide Web, or the web, is a collection of different websites. And websites are made up of text, images, resources, and they can, like, have different purposes. They can be informational, or they can be a forum, like Reddit. And this was, like, kind of interesting to me but like websites are accessed via an application called a web browser so like chrome or firefox and the web browser is not the internet it only displays websites that are stored on the internet 
And I think I've always thought of like Chrome as the internet. Yeah. I think for me, what's fascinating, even when we were talking about, if, when we're talking about the definition of the internet is I picture that definition would be changing over time simply because the technology itself is changing over time. Previously in like the first iteration of the internet, it was about um, kind of uploading information one directional in the first phase. And then the second phase was that anyone could add information. So I'm thinking of like Wikipedia, mm -hmm. when you can edit a website. And then and in that phase too, it was eventually interactive with social media, where we can share photos and information together and, and engage with each other. And I know recently with, I think you guys had like an episode on cryptocurrencies, and how that's pretty much like the third wave of the internet, where at some point we don't even need a website to be a medium exactly. You can have one computer immediately talk to another computer directly. And that's different than like a computer than a computer and you connect on the internet and then who that connects to another computer. So I mean the internet being like, as you said, web websites and web browser, that might not even be necessary. Um in the future or might not so it's probably still be used but it'll look different <laughs> yeah and so yeah that's like how do we even keep up with all with all these new emerging technologies i mean for me personally i feel like it's been my i wouldn't say duty but like a responsibility to stay up to date on this latest tech news and that might not be relevant for everybody because tech is not interesting to everybody <laughs> but it's like always curious to know what, what the latest thing is because i know that compared to the average um maybe the average person, a scammer will definitely take advantage of that um, information gap and try to use the latest technology to scam you. And maybe other people might not know it. And then maybe we can go in later about like, for example, the use of deep fake and how that can definitely, I feel like that could definitely be used for some yeah. you know, nefarious purposes in the future. But yeah. Yeah, definitely. I, that's kind of like a big fear of mine. I mean, in general, just like falling out of the times. Because, like, I mean, mm -hmm. when you're growing up as a teenager, you're used to, like, being on the pulse. But now mm -hmm. that I'm, like, an elder, like, Gen Z, zillennial type person, <laughs> I can feel myself knowing less and less about what's popular. All these slang terms are coming out and I have no idea what they mean. <laughs> there are, like, a billion different trends that I'm, like, not on top of. And to, like, tie it back to, like, the internet itself and the tech and stuff it's like it is so easy with like how quickly these things develop to just not know what's happening anymore or like i mean down the line you know there's like just technologies that i think one day i'm just not gonna know how to use them yeah and that's scary like cryptocurrencies to me i still don't understand despite <laughs> doing a whole episode it's okay i feel like it's whoever's developing cryptocurrency eventually has the duty to try to design in such a way that's easily consumable by the mass public I don't think we need to know the nitty gritty. Like, I don't think I know exactly like the nitty gritty of how my laptop works, but I think knowing just basic trends hmm. is fine. For example, you know, there's some random talks about the eventual creation of a metaverse where we kind of merge um, AR and our own lives together, but that's like two or three or four decades down the line. But currently, I saw some videos recently of AI, they are having like AI robots kind of talk to each other about life and things wow. and it's kind of getting very meta what they talk about very philosophical like some of them are aware that they don't have a body <laughs> <laughs> and i'm just like hmm. I'm, I'm pretty sure like the of course in that video they talk about how they took the best parts of their conversation that's not gibberish so that that's still in development but i'm just like 
Yeah, some people are designing some crazy stuff yeah. that uh, might not get to us anytime soon, at least in the mass public. Yeah, I mean, I think it's like, it's scary to me how mm-hmm. things are going to develop. Just as like, as someone who's used to the internet, like I can't even imagine for like yeah. people who don't really have an understanding of what's happening. I don't know, it's just crazy like to think about what's going to happen in the future. I still don't know how some Gen Z or younger generations, like, or at least my cousins, for example, edit their TikTok videos on their phone. <laughs> I'm like, it's so small. I feel like I need a laptop to do that. Yeah. <laughs> At a bare minimum to edit videos. And I'm just like, okay. I think, yeah, what's, what's comforting to me to not like catastrophize like the, the future <laughs> of AI is to know that, okay, there are humans who create these. I think, I feel like the smartest computers are only as smart as the smartest humans. I mean, they can make less errors, but at the same time, like the root of their intelligence humans and same with like the structure of the internet like i find myself worried about how little i know about hello girl but i find comfort in knowing that okay well someone like andrew like my software engineer boyfriend probably like contributed to this and it's at least like understandable in that way yeah but but it'd be scary sometimes um especially like with the dark web like I i feel like that touches on something that wanted to talk about in regards to you know like how can we circumvent or avoid certain scams and things because i mean aside from people on the other side of the screen uh we do like isa said we do have to remember that at the end of the day these programs and everything are designed by humans and they're just a bunch of little rules put together if this happens do this if this person clicks on this show them this ad and it's not perfect and it has a lot of bias to it um i don't know if you guys wanted to dive in a little bit about uh some of the kind of like I wouldn't say scams, but tricks that you notice <laughs> or algorithmic fallacies or where it falls short just so we we kind of humanize the system itself. Yeah. Enlighten us, Brenna. Oh, enlighten. Oh, I thought, I, thought you guys have, I thought you guys have some ideas. I, was, oh. I, I, need, I need to come up with them. I know I've probably thought of them sometime before. <laughs> well, here's here's an interesting topic that people discuss with like, um, let's say the YouTube algorithm, right? You you hear a lot of your favorite influencers, you know, making it sound like some mysterious being, you know, the YouTube algorithm. It changes all the time. Why does it change all the time? Because the people in the backgrounds are always changing the code. Well, why are they changing the code? Because there's always crazy bots trying to take advantage of the system and they're just trying to curate it to do to fulfill their business plan. What's their business plan? get people to stay on the platform longer, make more money. Um, I think there's kind of two sides to YouTube that that people, I don't want to say there's only two, but the two that come to mind when people think about, oh, how can I make it on YouTube? Obviously, no one knows the way. There's probably a little bit of luck in there, but the two things to keep in mind, or I tend to think about is like, there is the system aspect There's the system aspect where it does matter what keywords you put in your description or in your title. And nowadays, I'm pretty sure the words you say with the caption, I'm pretty sure they're able to capture the words just based on caption to see what kind of topic you're discussing in your video. And based on those things with just people's, how long people watch your video, um, the the algorithm, they'll design in such a way where it pops up to more people who like that type of category of video that, Maybe other 
that connects to like other videos with the same word keywords. And that's like a skill in itself that, that kind of goes into like search engine optimization, which I feel like everyone should, I don't think they have it now, but I feel like everyone should learn like the basics of search engine optimization and that'll like help them with other thing I'll probably talk at a different time. <laughs> but then, the, okay. And then the other side of the whole YouTube thing is the people side. At the end of the day, if you make content that people like and is entertaining, they're going to stay. Yeah. That's it. Just be interesting. <laughs> Whatever that means. Um, and that's just the people aspect. So if you just break it down into two things, it's a lot simpler. The internet is a lot simpler. Yeah. I think of it as like consumers and producers. Like people produce yeah. it, people consume it. Yeah. And even outside of YouTube, that's technically how uh, Hollywood or media works in general. Everyone ends up becoming like little mini media producers yeah. <laughs> with many hats. <laughs> Other joys of the internet. Anyone can produce media for better or for worse. Mm -hmm. just like us yeah <laughs> just like us <laughs> um we talked about internet literacy we kind of introed about you know there's a difference between digital literacy media literacy but they're all interconnected one because internet is a tool two because people are the ones using these tools but the problem is that technology is always advancing and it's hard to keep up and while we'd like to just be comfortable using what we have that's not really possible because of the threats that exist with using this type of tool. And as the internet is growing, the internet itself becomes its own little towns, was it town center mm -hmm. of all different types of people in it, which can be great for all the positive connections you make, but also really bad because of the bad agents that you might encounter that you would probably encounter less in your everyday life. I know we talked about scams and things, but I guess I also wanted to talk like a positive thing. Or you were mentioning with Card about how people are more willing to share themselves on the internet and people end up like self-doxing themselves. And I feel like there's, I feel like there's like two ways that the internet could evolve and develop mm -hmm. is that on one hand, I understand why people would want to show themselves more on the internet because you're kind of creating your own metaverse personality, like a character in a video game except it's yourself on in the internet world. So you become an internet personality and you want to make a name and identity for yourself there. On the flip side, there's people who can use it for bad things. And I wish that security technology, cybersecurity technology would be advanced enough to protect these people who want to create an internet personality for themselves. In an ideal world, the internet shouldn't have to put out your information and have fear of someone taking advantage of it for nefarious purposes. In the ideal situation of the internet, you can use it as a tool, show your you know, authentic self, connect with people across the world, um, knowing that your information is safe. But currently that's not feasible or possible because cybersecurity itself is a game of cat and mouse, like eternally. Yeah, I mean, it kind of feels like it's on the user to protect themselves mm -hmm. in a lot of cases. Like yeah. it's on it's on us to know like how to keep our personal information private and secure, know what to look out for when we're browsing a website, what are like potential mm -hmm. scams, like what not to click on versus what to actually click on when you're going through your email and like you get like when you're looking at an email and it's up to you to like suss out if this is a scam or not. And I mean, I think the internet has gotten to a point where at least with Gmail, they'll kind of tell you, oh, this is potentially a scam or it's like kind of suspicious. Like, are you sure you want to click on this stuff? <laughs> and so like, that's helpful, but it's still mainly your responsibility. And, you know, I feel like the, you know, what you're talking about with like the user responsibility, I feel like that could open a whole new 
avenue of discussion later maybe on like a future episode between you and Issa is like the user responsibility versus the corporation's responsibility versus the government responsibility Mm -hmm. because you could argue for example thanks to Europe's very strict privacy laws it's pretty hard for people to to get access to your private information versus in the U.S. the privacy laws are pretty loose and so you get a lot of people doxxed often but going back to when you were talking about your email safety your uh, account safeties do you have like a specific experience with you know security or internet security i mean i've never (laughs) i've never fallen for a scam yet i think like that should be put out there for all of us like everyone thinks that it's not going to happen to them until it does and so i was actually watching a youtube video where someone fell for a dating scam and you know you don't think that it's going to happen to you especially like on a dating app where you're kind of like opening yourself up to like the idea of love, you want to like trust someone, you kind of start to doubt yourself. And like, you're not necessarily thinking about being scammed even on like a dating app. I think like at most you're like, oh, am I being catfished? (laughs) But yeah, this person like got scammed over like the long term through Mm -hmm. like a cryptocurrency type thing. I mean, there are a lot of like, my VP was actually telling me about like how his mom got scammed through like a phishing email. And how he was like, it was like a really bad email too, but like she just didn't know. Mm -hmm. How about you, Issa? Oh yeah, someone very, very close to me fell for a dating scam. And he paid $5,000 to this person to, I think you guys can guess who. Yeah, to not leak his information. And yeah, whenever I was looking for apartments on Craigslist, like every other listing is a scam. And Mm -hmm. I think... I mean, I just know intuitively not to, like, when when they respond to me, like, these people with their fake apartment ads, if they're a scam or not, just based on their email. But yeah, like, someone like your, what was it, Lisa? Your manager's mother? My VP. Your VP's mother? Or your VP's mom, or, like, the person in my life that I knew, like, who got scammed. Like, they they would not understand, like, the language of a scam. Um... So yeah, yeah, I personally have not been scammed. Well, I've had my identity stolen many, many times. Mm-hmm. So I mean, scams exist like yeah. on and off the internet. But like, internet is just another avenue to yeah. experience. Yeah, yes. I really, I really feel that. I feel like um, for me, I feel like I'm so nowadays. Like when I'm older, I'm I'm like oddly passionate about cybersecurity and like <laughs> understanding the tech. And let me tell you why. Let me tell you why. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I was a gullible child. <laughs> I would I would be lying if I didn't say I probably learned how to use the internet through like like was it trial by fire? It was. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I, I got I got scammed a little bit. Oh. I gave out my information before oh. it was dumb. Look, to oh. be fair, to be fair, I was um like 10, 11 years old, and you know back then the internet was the wild wild west. I mm-hmm. didn't really have any personal information online, but. There was a time I was playing Maple Story, <laughs> and they say don't give out your username and password. You know, like the company will never ask you for that. But then there was this one guy, this one little character whose username, whose character name was Game Master. I didn't even realize, like, I never saw an actual Game Master character before where they had actually a special shiny icon at the bottom. So I got easily tricked by this one guy who only put his character name as that. <laughs> And then he asked me for my username and password and I gave it to him. I don't even know what he told me about. 
But I was just like, oh, my God. And then after that, my brother had to bail me out of that one when he heard what I did. <laughs> I got, like, a big scolding about, like, personal information on the internet. I'm like, oh, Jesus. And I was like, yeah. So I learned from that experience. And then the second one was going on to sketchy websites to read manga as a kid. <laughs> And I swear to God, the number of times I got viruses on my computer is kind of insane. <laughs> okay, yeah. Actually, I got a lot of viruses on my computer yeah, exactly. as a kid. <laughs> yeah, a lot of viruses. And I was just like, oh, uh, it would be so bad that I have to reboot my whole laptop. And you would learn from that pain and agony of deleting everything on your yeah. computer. Granted, as like a 12-year-old, you don't really have much information on your computer anyway. But you know, all those saved photos of your favorite manga scenes in a folder just vanish before your eyes. You learn not to get attached as a kid. Yeah, I can't get attached. Even now, I am so, like, not attached to my technology because I'm always afraid that it's just going to break and, like, I'll lose everything. Yeah. But, you know, that's just learning from experience. Now we know this can happen yeah. to anyone because Brenda <laughs> experience. Tell us a little bit about the back end of this then i'll put on my like like scammer thinking hat yeah, like, yeah, yeah. you know to catch a scammer you gotta yeah, be yeah. a scammer <laughs> so let me let me put on my my like bad person hat on okay <laughs> so let's say isa lisa um let's say i i send you a phishing email the most basic thing it happens to all of us the best of us uh, it even happened in my company too and it has a link in it and let's say maybe you maybe you or your so or your parents maybe you're sleepy that day it looks so legit it has like i don't know some kind of fancy looking links and everything and you click on it and somehow you give people access to your email i actually don't know how that works on the back end what i've heard how the dark web would use it is if they can get access to one of your emails they look through your email inbox to see what other places you have your account with let's say you have it with chase bank of america maybe you have it with amazon they're like, okay, this person has has accounts in these types of places. So they will try, if you have your password, if you use the same password for a lot of websites, they'll just go through all these websites and test out your email with that password and see how many you can get into. So let's say you have an airline. You have a lot of mileage points on your airline. Well, then they'll sell your mileage points on the dark web. They say, hey, uh, pay me this amount of money and I will buy you these tickets for you. So that's how they use it. Yeah. Or maybe you have Amazon points or something. And they'll be like, oh, I'll, I'll, I don't know, I'll use this person's Amazon points. And if they can get personal statement documents, like sensitive information, that'll just dox you. Social security, address, things like that. Which, you know, that's that's one of the ways to do it. But honestly, nowadays, it's pretty easy to get people's address and phone numbers now. Yeah. I don't know if you want to go into white pages. I hate white pages so much. <laughs> I know. I know. I looked myself up and they had my address. I was like, why? Who Who would do this? Only in America. Yeah. It's a whole business. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if some of these white pages lobby to make sure that you, the U.S. government doesn't make privacy laws too strict because that would just get rid of their own business of selling information. And I used to work in tech. Oh, not tech, sorry. I used to work in sales mm -hmm. or I used to work in tech sales. And it's creepy how much like we get like a list of people to contact and it has their their workplace it has their work phone number sometimes it even has their like pr um, personal email and their personal phone number i don't want to question how the heck we got that yeah that's not normal if we do if we not only have your work information but also your personal information and we're contacting you knocking on your you know digital door 
Yeah. There are like just companies out there who just scrape info off of websites. They'll like go on LinkedIn. I mean, I mean, I think like with LinkedIn, you're technically not even allowed to like scrape off of LinkedIn. But like, I mean, your info information is out there everywhere. You know, I mean, a lot of these websites will just like when you put in your info information to like sign up for an account or like um, paywall content where it's like, oh, put in your information so that you can get access to like our PDF or whatever. They log that and then they'll sell it. And so like that's how they kind of get a lot of this information and they like just scrape it and like consolidate mm-hmm. it. And then they they sell it to like companies <laughs> to like use to market to you. Yeah, like the foundation of all of this is just how can companies find more ways to make money? Like I work in research and I worked when I worked at we would just survey our customer base, like send like all like one million of our customers just like five surveys every week. And they would take them because they're all like stay-at-home moms or like, you know, like college students who just want to tell like what purse they want and like we have a lot of their personal data and I remember in one conversation with my team, like, oh, we have so much data. We should have a second business unit where we just sell it to people who want to know about, like, what the average, like, 50-year-old woman likes. Or, And everyone's like, yeah. Like, because in tech, it's just second nature to want to monetize on everything that your company collects, like, data-wise. And, yeah, it's just, at, at the root of it, it's, like, it's up to people who actually work in the companies to have a good heart and know you know, not to use this information for bad purposes, but it just takes like one bad actor to leak that information. Like I know when I worked at, like there would be people who specifically work in HR to steal people's like social security numbers. And I don't know. This is like kind of on a tangent too, but that, that reminded me. Yeah. Of that. I don't know if you have any NDA contracting you to be mindful of or not. <laughs> Replace with like company I worked with before I mean I think like yeah. any any company's probably thought about that that collects big data yeah backtracking a little I know Lisa you said that um LinkedIn <laughs> and how like you're not allowed to what was it scrape it I don't know in sales we use the separate software where we log once we view someone else's LinkedIn profile we can get their information though I think the Whoa. only thing is that we can't look at a bunch of accounts all at once because then LinkedIn will like flag your account like hey you can't you can't be mm-hmm. doing that, you know? Um, but I mean, when we look for specific people we want to contact, like we can, I just go to their profile and this like third party program finds the information. Mm-hmm. So it's not like LinkedIn gives it specifically, but you know, I don't know how that's related or how they can protect from that. Or even if they want to, cause I'm pretty sure, you know, this, all of these businesses are kind of interconnected and rely on each other. Yeah. And I mean, I think function. like LinkedIn tries to protect yeah. the information but at the same time there are just like so many ways to like work around mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. and then you guys were talking about like paywalls earlier i feel like you guys work in marketing i was curious how we can go around that <laughs> I, I don't yeah i don't know too much about that i usually just pick put fake information whenever they ask oh. me for like information and then just so i can get the thing behind the paywall well i guess behind the survey wall paywall wise i still don't know how to get through them mm-hmm. for like newspapers or anything like that yeah yeah, like paywalls are something that I'm passionate about because I hate them. <laughs> um, like it's just, it's annoying to like try and read an article that sounds really interesting and they're like, oh, like pay $5 a month to like get access to this information. It's like, I just want to read one article, you know? And sometimes you put in the information and then you read the article and it wasn't even worth it in the end. Yeah. So it's really annoying. And then I try to read it on like a different website, but it's like really poor quality writing and 
probably a mix of um was it like tabloid level discussion and opinions when i just needed the facts <laughs> yeah or like it's just like aggra- aggregated information from like somewhere else yeah i i understand why these like newspapers have these paywalls i i'm just wondering is there another way to redesign the business model where information is still quality information is still accessible to the public without you know compromising for their financial needs and situation you know at the end of the day it's still a service and a business it's like interesting to me because a lot of like liberal media has these paywalls right because they're trying mm-hmm. to like financially support themselves by like getting us the consumers to like you know support their work which is like obviously valued research and it's important to support independent journalism right but i mean we can't just like pay like five dollars a month to like 10 different sources Mm because that's like that adds up eventually but like what i've read is that like with conservative media they're funded by like these millionaires and billionaires Mm -hmm. and so they don't have to put their information behind a paywall they can just like have it out in the world for free and so like people have more access to that Mm -hmm. versus like you know the new york times or like the atlantic and so like i mean for me how i try to get around paywalls i like using outline.com and so like if you go to outline.com you can like try and copy paste a link in there and it'll usually spit out like the article for you oh wow yeah but it doesn't work 100% of the time. Or like if you go to Google or something like that, and you type in like the name of the article that you want to read, you can click on the three dots, I think, and there will be like a cached version that you can like read without mm-hmm. having to go through the paywall. Although like I've been trying that recently and sometimes that also doesn't work. Like mm-hmm. it's also a, like a game of cat and mouse. Like you're mm-hmm. trying to like not pay for this information and they're trying to get you to pay. And so like we're always just like battling each other. Like there's also this article that I found where they say like using incognito. So like you're like your cookies, I think. The website hasn't registered that you're someone who has read the five free articles or whatever yet. And so you can use an incognito window to like kind of reset your five free articles and read through that. Using a VPN can help you bypass because you can't track your IP address and you can like connect and disconnect your VPN a lot of times. So after every connection you get another IP address or like cleaning your browser history or like clearing your cache is another way and then I guess there's like an extension called bypass chrome paywall extension (laughs) (laughs) which I mean I've never used it but like I might try it so I mean there are there are a lot of ways if you're determined to not pay the thing is I don't know how determined I am because you know those are really good ways to go around it because literally you know like we were talking about if we just knew a little bit more about how technology works like oh how do cookies work or how do uh, cash works well we can easily bypass a lot of these things just by erasing the cookies changing the VPN as you said or or getting a VPN and changing the ISP yeah and things like that and these companies are also run by average people so they're not the most technologically advanced either (laughs) or they don't you know they figured that most people would not go through all of those steps to 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 access their information until they see like an uptick of people doing that then they'll just again cat and mouse just find another way to block it yeah i mean like i personally like i have like paid for subscriptions to like news sources that i like read a lot and then like the other ones that i don't read as much i'll like try and find ways around that the washington post is really annoying because they're kind of impossible (laughs) you know this like little 
dance of trying to avoid to pay and people asking to pay. It's, it's really interesting to me because just understanding the history of newspapers and like the spread of information, like historically news has been very centralized. Like there's one newspaper, you buy it. It's like very cheap. And then you get all of the information you supposedly need for the day. And now like because information is so decentralized, like all these independent journalists and um, like new media publications coming out like need to support themselves. It's interesting seeing how like they try to get around or how they end up doing that. I've seen new formats where instead of a paywall, you have to like fill out a survey. Here's a sponsored survey from our advertisers. Like tell us what brand of chip you like the best and then you can read their article. So I am more likely to give up my information as like a zillennial but that's like still not free in a way. Um, data is never free. That's kind of the other thing is like with like traditional like newspapers, they supported themselves through like ads, right? Yeah. And like, I mean, online, I guess ideally they would also be supporting themselves through ads. Mm-hmm. But like, I think especially like our generation, like the younger generation, we, we know to use ad block now. Yeah. And so they can't get as much money through that. And so that's why they have paywalls to like yeah. try and have another stream of revenue. Because they can't get that money from ads anymore. Yeah. And like what they advertise to us, I feel like is also not super like targeted as maybe like newspapers were when people like, I don't know. There are so many more things to buy I think nowadays um, than what people are advertising to us. So it's like, I feel like the advertising in general is like less effective. And I feel like the way that news is currently being funded, um, like their priorities are in financials, it's just so easy for them to fall into the trap of either A, scrambling for uh, people's attention, which is like the most valuable currency of our time, or B, mm-hmm. being biased and catering to the people who are currently supporting them and funding them. And, you know, it's not their fault. That's just, you know, it makes sense the way it's run. And because of that, you, you see this divergence of, you know, there's more and more like obvious bias and rhetoric in the media with kind of a lot of, I wouldn't say manipulative because language is language, but the rhetoric becomes so strong that it, it, it skews people's perceptions. And so mm-hmm. then you don't know what's right or wrong anymore instead of just providing, I don't want to say non-biased information either. I think it's very hard to ever achieve non-bias, but to try to present the facts in the most objective way possible. Yeah. Yeah. I still think um, to combat or the best way to get a balanced view is always, always to get your news and information from multiple sources, never yeah. from one source. And that that's the way to go. So I don't want to put like an, a pressure or an expectation that a singular entity should be as non-biased as possible. That that's just not physically possible because these business these businesses or companies or news outlets are run by people and a person, you yourself, looks through life through like a single lens of mm-hmm. your own experience. So we're all biased at the end of the day. Yeah, I would say that media's always been biased. Like even when people were just reading books and like there was exactly. no TV. Like I mean, like who gets published? Like what kinds of people are they? Oftentimes, there are like all, there are always groups that are left out of the picture. And like yeah, nowadays, like even if you're like filming a hurricane live, that's still not objective because literally everything that is outside of your frame is not being captured. So mm-hmm. I think rather than like trying to attain unbiasedness, yeah, like just try to expand your perspective in other ways through other outlets. The the fascinating thing about all of this and when we're talking about like news and paywalls and you know, where do we get our information? At the end of the day, I 
like I don't want to admit this, but I do notice that how I hear about latest or recent events is through social media. Whether or not I believe what they say, you know, is another story, but I happen to know like the latest headlines of the day through social media. And I know in a separate episode, you guys kind of discussed those, um, like what's it called social Insta posts where posts try to oh, simplify. Yeah. Infographics. Exactly. Yeah. Like social media infographics and how they try to simplify issues of the times into like very bite-sized information, but it's so bite bite-sized and you're always scrolling through that you don't really take the time to even like fact check it exactly. Mm-hmm. And so with that information, I'd be curious to hear, I know we talked about like how to figure out and decipher or make sense or be skeptical and like have objective view of information. But how do you guys, how do you guys filter through like information manipulation? Does that make sense? I can, I can try to elaborate again if you no, want. No, I think, I know what you mean. And I think when I hear the term internet literacy, like, this is the first thing that came to my mind. Mm-hmm. Less so, like, scams. Because honestly, like, yeah. I, that is the part of the internet I'm, like, less fluent in. But I was thinking about how there's a lot of, like, fake news on the internet or, like, mm-hmm. disingenuous content. I guess, like, the basis of my media studies education is that all media is like an interpretation of reality no matter how you know factual it is it is someone's interpretation of it like whether it's like overt fake news that like a bot generated or like it's a youtuber who's saying like here's a sponsored product that i secretly hate but i'm saying i like it because you know i want money everything is just through that lens and i think brenda you like shared with me this article that reminded me of something i learned in school where most people cannot detect like what is like sponsored content versus like non-sponsored content. Most content is sponsored on the internet, but you would think that people could tell whether it is or not. And yeah, according to that study, I don't know, maybe you have like the stats, but like most people in that study, like of all ages, like literally could not tell. Mm-hmm. So like, I guess like with fake news specifically, there's a lot of fake news on the internet, whether it's like actually generated by imposter news sites that are just sensationalist like clickbait whose like sole existence is to generate advertising revenue by getting you to click on it or like you know stuff on reputable like news sites where they just want to push like a certain narrative about a politician or like a a policy and so i think like there are a lot of conversations by especially like tech leaders to use like algorithms to filter this stuff out i think you mentioned the algorithm on youtube filtering out like you know content that wouldn't benefit advertisers or something Mm -hmm. but I think like that's kind of a cheap like cop-out because the the symptom is like political instability and like people trying to capitalize on that it's more effective to have people like critically examining and engaging with the content and really like interpreting it because like I mentioned earlier all media is interpretation of reality and like not taking at face value like you're so good at that Brenda like I always admire how like literally anything you see in the internet and maybe it's exhausting for you you just like take a step back and you like interpret it and you think like okay this is what the producer is telling me now it's my job as the consumer to understand like what I think of it and yeah so when it comes to like fake news and false stories like disingenuous information like I guess I don't have like a method or like a criteria but I think like it's just important to know yeah I mean I think like I guess like for me there's like kind of an underlying understanding that I'm being sold to mm-hmm. like people are always going to try and sell something to you particularly like on Instagram like I kind of assume that every post is like an ad for something mm-hmm. <laughs> that's okay that makes well, that makes sense okay tying into the topic of like okay YouTube has this agenda advertisements and you Lisa talk about how like 
you know, you're, you anticipate that you're going to be sold to and these sponsored content cannot exactly be trusted, it might benefit you, but at the end of the day, you, you kind of have to like look at it with a critical eye, right? But who has that much time? And I feel like for me, at least, um, I usually have, I feel like I have a procedure, <laughs> like a thought process in my head whenever I consume information, like a little checklist. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if I can share it with you guys right now. Pretty, I yeah. mean, The best way I could describe it is, uh, I know some people don't really like school and education, but honestly, I feel like the two classes that helped me the most in life were, you know, AP English Literature, and then the other one was like composition or something. And like one class taught you how to write it and how to like observe the way people use emotional appeal or like lo- logic appeal in their writing and other people talked about like forms of writing. And I do like a quick, I don't know if what I consume sometimes is accurate or not, unless I actively do the research, but I don't have time to do the research. So the way I do a shorthand is asking, is this content using strong rhetoric language? Is it trying to evoke a feeling or emotion? Technically, the ones that are most sensationalized and evoke to your emotions may, you know, you just have to be, sus- I wouldn't say they're wrong. You just have to be a little bit more suspicious of those because actual good content is usually objective and boring. <laughs> If it's boring, it might be correct. But even in boring content, you have to then look into the actual content information. But that's just like a good like rule of thumb. My other rule of thumb that I typically use is where does the money come from? I think that I think that's actually a rule of thumb that people in journalism use or talk about is always follow the money. <laughs> that's the best way. I was just like, you know what? You're right. Follow the money. You a lot of things will be revealed if you follow the money. And that's not to say that every piece of information I come across, I find exactly who the person who funds them is and who that person supports and supports unless I'm doing investigative journalism, which I'm not. I'm just a regular user. But I'm thinking in my head, oh, I see this influencer. They are actively partnering with a lot of sponsors often. I feel like I can't trust them compared to a influencer who is very selective of who they sponsor with and has a consistent sponsor partnership with like a specific company. And because Mm -hmm. there's less that they're sponsoring with, I can easily research the relationship better, you know, versus like someone who's always switching it up. I'm like, that's a little sus. I I mean, like you could be, you could actually like all those products, but that's a little (laughs) sus. (laughs) And so I think those are the, was it? I think that was like, what, two rules of thumb, two or three rules of thumbs, rhetoric and follow the money. Yeah. Oh, Rhetoric, follow the money, and it can never hurt just to always research both sides, multiple sides, multiple views. I think those are the three things that I actively do to filter all of the information on the internet. That reminds me, I don't know, we don't have to like keep this in, but I was doing research on sunscreen because there's a huge like debate in the, the skincare world about chemical versus mineral filters. And apparently there was a whole like research paper, super official, like very boring written by like scientists and like people with PhDs about like their specific study about how like a certain sunscreen filter was very toxic for coral reefs. Read through it, sounds very convincing. It's written by smart people, but like you follow the money and you realize that it was sponsored by a sunscreen company that uses only mineral filters um, and promotes, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting. Like if you don't really do the extra digging, like sometimes yeah, you can really never trust content at its face value for what it is. And like at the end of the day, content is just created at a moment in time too. Like if it's maybe true today, may, may not be true tomorrow. Yeah. And that's, that's like a very, you know, if you take a, like a scientific lens to everything in the world in science itself, you have a hypothesis, you try to prove it everyone. And then once it's proven over and over and over, it's determined as fact until we might find some inter- information in the future that disproves it. 
and then we just change up and start the system like the the cycle all over again so i think having that open mind to know that what we know now may completely change in the future is is also a good like thing to keep in mind i know like sometimes i don't have time to follow the money Uh, that was really great that you looked into that research It, it got me thinking about sometimes i'll look at research papers and you know at a quick glance you'll think oh this sounds very like official and smart or something and thing about smart and academic papers is that they like to use a bunch of fancy words to trick people too which, well, maybe that goes into rhetoric it, it, it like bothers me but you know i think if any of us took like one or two statistics classes i think i think everyone should take either take a statistics class or if they took it but they didn't care about it i think they should care about it a little bit more because taking like understanding the basics of statistics can sift through so much statistical bullshit and like math bullshit mm-hmm. that even news outlets feed you and like reputable outlets feed you because for example i always thought about let's say you are a specialized writer in like journalism right you're you're a really great writer very good with your words but maybe you didn't do well in math in school and so when you are interpreting this science research paper you know like some people don't know what statistical significance or significant was it was called statistical significance Mm -hmm. yeah Yeah, what statistical significance, that phrase means. People think of the English term significance. Like, oh, it's important, but actually it means something else. Like, oh, this is a rare case percentage or something. And then they misinterpret that research statistic. And it just gets lost in translation when they're writing it in an article. I mean, that's not their fault. Every person can't have vast academic knowledge (laughs) of the world. That would be crazy. (laughs) But I think always just keeping in mind, you know, the flaws. I wouldn't say the flaws, but the fact that human beings have strengths and weaknesses and communication is so important yeah definitely i do kind of want to talk about like dark patterns oh yes on the on the internet to kind of like tie into like the whole you know companies are like trying to trick you they're trying to like get your money yeah like from kind of like a design perspective i guess companies are like always trying to like trick you into subscribing or making it like confusing for you to like to cancel your subscription Mm-hmm. Um, and there are like a lot of like design decisions that go into these websites to from like making like the unsubscribe button less prominent so it's like just a little link versus like oh no I don't want to cancel my subscription being like a big red button and so you're like I immediately goes to that I mean if you're like not really thinking you'll like instinctively click on it because you think that's the correct button but like it's not and then you've like kind of chucked yourself or like on an app making the x to exit from like a pop-up or something like so small that it's like hard to tap on it i hate when they do that (laughs) (laughs) yeah or like you can also kind of be tricked into like granting consent for like selling your information because i mean like i know california has like the ccpa which is like the california consumer protection act it gives californians the right to opt out of selling your personal information and also bans like dark patterns that would make it difficult for consumers to find that option but like i mean like now they're like just all these like cookie pop-ups on a website and it's like super annoying um because they're like oh like they're always like asking you can we sell your information can yeah. we like accept cookies? we have like we have like tracking cookies but like can we also turn on like the marketing information selling cookies and you have to like go in and like turn that off and like accept whatever it is do you think when you click to turn it off do you think they actually turn it off i don't know if it's possible to customize the user experience and like capturing information like i used to do um like i used to have a website and i used to use facebook ads and it would track people clicking where you know where and when and how long they stayed on a page on my website and i'm like how would you be able to separate that i feel like it just reads the browser i think okay you know what actually maybe there might be a way i'm (laughs) I'm trying to think of like as a tech person even though i don't really have that much software engineering 
uh, experience. But when I think about it, they could just put like uh yeah, they could like setting. yeah, block it. Like a if person clicks this, then don't track or turn off cookies, because um when iPhone came out with the security option that they don't let Facebook track you your activity on Facebook anymore on your phone. Uh, Facebook ads stopped reporting on iPhone users' activity information. Wow. Yeah. So I guess there is a way. Sorry, but you, you were saying. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, I guess, like, I mean, legally, they're not allowed to, <laughs> to do that. <laughs> if cookies are yeah. Um, yeah. Personally, I recently canceled my Prime subscription to, like, try and curtail my Amazon shop, and it's become incredibly annoying to shop on Amazon now, which I, I mean, it's kind of the point for me, but like whenever I, I want to purchase something, I feel like I get taken to like a separate page where they're like, oh, if you like get Prime, you can get two day shipping for free. Um, and then I have to like make sure that I click on the option that says, no, I don't want free shipping. <laughs> Because they make, oh, I do want free shipping, like this bright yellow button. And like my eye does instinctively go there and my mouse is like hovering over it. But like I know not to click on it, even though I'm like so ready to do it. And then I have to like actively like look for the no, I don't want to click on this. And it's just, it's irritating that they, that they do that. Because they know, you know, if you're not thinking about it, you're, you're just going to click on it. And then you kind of like get taken to like a separate page to like sign up. And I mean, you can like exit out of that and stuff, but. It's just, it's annoying. And I also don't like that they, like, try and guilt you or shame you into, like, the free Prime subscription and with the two-day shipping. Like, they make you sound like some stupid idiot for not wanting (laughs) free shipping. Or, like, a lot of, like, shopping websites, they'll be like, oh, if you, like, give us your email, we'll give you, like, a discount coupon. And then they'll have, like, put in your email and then the button is like, yeah, I do want, like, this 15% off coupon. But, like, underneath as like just a little link is like no I don't want 15% off because I mean it's it's kind of foolish to like <laughs> walk away from like free money but you know so it's so interesting that y- you talk about how like annoying it feels and then at the same time I can't help but like marvel at it like I was like this is so interesting like like they really got me here <laughs> <laughs> they're like taking advantage of like your psychology and your brain as someone who likes to kind of study like psychology of people and how we just like react to things i mean that kind of goes into what was it that one documentary called was it social dilemma where tech is not really a tool because it manipulates you to using it even when you didn't seek it out in the first place it's so weird because i I don't know if this is me being like chaotic neutral or whatever but i'm all like yeah, all power to Amazon. Yeah, finding ways to get people to click. Uh, I, I really love the flow of their website, actually. Like, there are some websites where it's, like, obnoxious and the flow just doesn't feel natural. But this one, they make it feel so natural in a scary way. But I, I'm kind of impressed. Lenny, what is the summary of what we talked about today? How do we su- How do we wrap this up? Yeah, I mean, you wanted to, like, figure out what the actionable steps are, right? Yeah, I mean, we today, yeah, today we talked a lot about internet literacy, how it intersects with uh, knowledge of technology, of media, and how people work, ultimately, the psychology of people. Um, I'd be curious to hear uh, what our listeners can take away actionable steps they can do to uh, how to protect themselves on the internet while having a good time and being a well-informed and critical user of the internet or citizen of the internet. I mean, I think we've like kind of sprinkled 
advice Mm -hmm. throughout our conversation. But I mean, it really is just like putting in the work (laughs) of like, I mean, it's not easy to be like more aware. Like you do have to do research on how to be more aware Mm -hmm. and being on your toes all the time, really analyzing what you're looking at and making sure that you're not being tricked by these companies into consuming information without thinking Mm -hmm. or again, like clicking on the wrong thing because, you know, they've designed it that way. Yeah. And just to, just to our listeners, I feel like, I think in the beginning, it sounds like a lot of work or it feels like a little exhausting but I I have to say like it kind of gets easier over time like it becomes the same process over and over just sifting through information yeah it's definitely a skill you develop exactly yeah something your brain does in the background yeah where you're like looking at an email is like oh is the the email email address suspicious is like the content poorly designed that could be like another indicator of like a phishing email or something you know, mm-hmm. are they asking for your information? I think like with emails, especially. Yeah. It's like, oh, are they like trying to scare you? Mm-hmm. You know, and then in terms of being on like social media and being aware of like how people are trying to influence you, what people are trying to sell to you constantly, like being aware of like what their angle is. Yeah. What are they trying to like get you to think and want? Yeah, I think think about like TikTok University. And, like, there's information that people purposely try to sell you or, like, purposely try to, like, redirect you from the truth. But then there's also information that people just spread, thinking that it's true, having the best intentions, but, like, it's actually fake. Like, I remember watching this TikTok about this girl giving tips on how to survive an airplane crash, and they were all completely wrong. Um, She was trying to help people, but really her tips would kill you in an airplane crash. And so I think when it comes to information that's, like, actually important, like, if you're about to share you know, a piece of news about, like, Afghanistan. Maybe fact check that before you share it. If you're just, like, scrolling through TikTok and, like, enjoying yourself, like, I try not to take a lot of the content in there too seriously, and, like, I don't really worry about fact checking every single thing if I don't really plan on using that information to, like, evangelize it to other people or anything. Because I feel like that that is exhausting to me personally. Like, maybe on autopilot I can have that, like, suspicion in the back of my mind for everything that I read. But like, like to have a more sustainable approach to viewing everything with a critical eye, I think it's important to just prioritize like what information should be really vetted and like what information it's okay to just like, okay, I'm incorrect about like how I should like put my toilet paper roll, you know, like, I don't know. <laughs> I think there's just a lot of content out there for me personally. And yeah. like, it's okay not to be perfect on everything. You can never be right about everything in life. But okay, if it comes to like, like scams, yeah, maybe like if it's like with their banking information, definitely double check everything like that. I have a personal you reminder. Check. Yeah, like build a bot for yourself every time you log into your email. Like don't open anything from Wells Fargo, you know, stuff like that. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I think for me, pretty much on the same boat as you guys. I know that we already talked a little bit about how to like sift through information critically. For me, I always like to think about how I can protect myself through technology. So, I mean, for example, I don't use Google Chrome, actually, too. I don't know if you guys are surprised by that. I actually use something called Brave Browser, which is kind of built on Chrome technology, but the angle that Brave Browser usually takes is that it's everything, like, it doesn't ask for my information, which feels weird, because I real I didn't realize how like I was so used to the internet just having my information. When I use Google Chrome, you have your your uh, internet activity logged with uh, your Gmail account because your Gmail account is connected to your Chrome browser. Mm-hmm. 
And then with Brave, they don't have you create an account. They just have you have a chain code in case you want to move your bookmarks from your computer browser to like your phone browser and that's it. So it doesn't ask anything about my personal information, my birthday, nothing. And I was very surprised by that. And they kind of do a lot of ad blocking, cache cookies, turn off any tracking bugs on the websites that you visit. I don't think it's 100% perfect, but it gets the job done what I wanted to. I know this sounds like a weird ad, but <laughs> just wanted to sponsored let you guys know. Brave. Not sponsored by you guys know, like, <laughs> sponsored. what's my angle? <laughs> what do I, be- how do I benefit from this? As of right now, I don't know how I would benefit from this, but I love to share resources with people. I'm not sponsored. I make no money from this, but I love the way this, this, this browser has just, you know, made me feel a little more safer compared to other browsers. That's all I'm going to say. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and I think um, another aspect to being a responsible like user of the internet is thinking mm-hmm. about how you share information to kind mm-hmm. of tie back to what Isa was talking about. Is like, I mean, like I do, I don't really vet a lot of information <laughs> that I'm like consuming. But if I'm thinking about sharing it, especially like on this podcast, um, like I do put in that extra research to make sure that I at least kind of have an understanding of what I'm talking about. Um, because there's like a lot more responsibility there, I think. But at the same time, don't take our word <laughs> for a fact. <laughs> we are just people with, you know, Google at our fingertips. <laughs> like we have our own biases, obviously. I think like something else is like you, I think you wanted to kind of, or like at least, I at least saw notes on yeah. like search engine optimization where like, you know, I mean, you know, when you like type in your your search, like a lot of websites will kind of like try and optimize for like those keywords and like pop up first. That's like that first page of Google is like prime real estate. And so just kind of being aware of like what information like shows up. Yeah, Google can't fully be trusted and it's not Google's fault. Uh, again, we were going into like search and this is where like understanding how these algorithms and search engines work. If we look into search engine optimization, they optimize for keyword, maybe a website paid money for, I don't know, paid money to be on the top front page. Or even, you know, why is it that whenever you search up medical conditions, always like a serious cancer situation (laughs) pops up? I don't know. It could be that those types of titles get clicked on more. So maybe Google filters it by being like, hey, people are clicking on this more maybe it's reputable just based off of the number of clicks it has. I don't know if that's how they design it. You know, I don't know if that's true or not. I, I don't work at Google. But just keeping in mind that at the end of the day, there are all these like little rules. Um, one of my favorite examples um, is that when, if you type in like uh, keywords where you use maybe really poor spelling or you use a bunch of slang, you will get different results than someone who uses maybe like the scientific name of a plant or an animal with like very fancy academic words. You get completely different results. And in those results, you can have completely differing information. And something else I've also been thinking about is that Google also filters your information, the results you see based off of your location of where you're at. So if you Mm -hmm. live in the city, they're going to show you more information that maybe have a more left-leaning liberal take on things like if you search up um, climate change or environment when you when your location is in a city versus if you're like in the middle of the country or in certain Mm -hmm. other countries that are 
typically more conservative. And here's the thing. I don't know which one's right or wrong, right? Like, I've been... Anyway, this is a separate topic. I've been having an ex- existential <laughs> crisis about my politics because <laughs> no side can be trusted, which then goes back to the topic of you should research all sides because, mm-hmm. yeah. And, and the yeah. best way to combat this because we know these are how search engines work then you know oh i should experiment with different keywords i should be mindful of the keywords i look at and like the type of websites that they show me i should be mindful of is my location tracking on or off with google and things like that i mean i think like youtube is notorious for its um what is it i mean i I have it turned off oh it was youtube recommended yeah or like autoplay yeah autoplay too autoplay is kind of like oh man when netflix started adding that in it's over that's how big (laughs) culture grows that is that is for me in my head business genius and then the absolute deterioration of society and we're (laughs) apart now but uh the other thing was on the social dilemma documentary there was that guy who created the youtube recommended feature i love Mm -hmm. that feature but he then he like tells you to turn it off because that feature is meant to keep you on the platform longer. Really? Yeah. I, I love it. <laughs> yeah, I love it. I love it. But now I'm getting tired of it. Because the problem is they keep showing me stuff that I've already watched. Like, not watched before, yeah. but the same topics until you click on some new topic. And it just shows you all of that same new topic. But yeah. I don't know. I feel like I'm really stuck in a bubble and I need to get out of it. Yeah, I mean, that's not, honestly like what's been frustrating for me with YouTube too. Is like, I just get like served at the same content over and mm-hmm. over again and it's like kind of annoying it's kind of but it's like yeah it's like it's the same with pinterest too actually if you like click on one thing all of a sudden that's like your entire feed and it's like no i just like sometimes you click on stuff by accident like, yeah. i'm not actually interested <laughs> <laughs> like i was trying to i was trying to watch some like conservative like speakers on youtube just so i can have like a more balanced like political view and and Next thing you know, my whole YouTube recommended is full of, like, the strangest extremist titles. And Ugh. I was just like, I think I entered a wrong side. I mean, not to say all conservatives are, are extremists, but I entered into an interesting side of YouTube where the titles seem pretty extreme. Yeah. <laughs> I was just like, oh, okay, how do I get out of this? Let me go watch a bunch of cat videos and <laughs> slowly move out of this niche. Yeah, I remember like looking over my brother's shoulder and seeing like his YouTube recommended being like a bunch of like conservative stuff. And I like mm-hmm. pull him aside and be like, what are you watching? <laughs> what are you doing? Please be more like aware that like this stuff is dangerous. Like you need to like really think about what you're con- like. I didn't want to like tell him to like not watch that stuff. But I just like, I was just like, you know, really think about what you're consuming. Really think about like what these people are saying. You know, to be fair, there are a lot of uh very level-headed speakers in in that community you just have to like mm-hmm. filter through it um <laughs> yeah no seriously so the flatter theories, yeah <laughs> am i outing myself right now i don't know <laughs> but um um something I, something some other strategy i think about doing is i i have multiple youtube like accounts and so one youtube account will have this kind of like like niche area and then the other youtube account will be exploring a different niche area of youtube so it's kind of balanced so i was thinking of doing that with my politics too like i was thinking of having like one kind of progressive liberal chat like youtube account for the recommended algorithm and then one conservative side yeah that seems like a lot of work (laughs) well you know it's so hard because the recommended likes to like really uh freaking box you in yeah. The other thing I like doing is, 
you know what? Forget both sides of that. Let's just look at international news and how do people mm. talk about it internationally from other perspectives. Which then just goes all the way back to our what was it? Our main uh, theme, which was to always look at information from all perspectives and from yeah. different angles. And don't trust any of it. 100%. Don't trust anyone. <laughs> yep. Oh, yeah, maybe sometimes occasionally trust, like, question yourself, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Always yeah. be evolving. Keep an open mind. Okay. Hey, how do you I end think, this? I think we covered it. Wow. <laughs> I guess, like, or, like, to kind of try and wrap it up. I mean, obviously, we could probably be here forever talking about all the aspects of the internet. Internet literacy and safety. So I don't think we've covered everything or even talked about it like super in depth. But also if you listen to this whole thing, hopefully you'll do your own research and not just trust us. Brenda, did you want to? Oh yeah. You know, thank you, Brenda, for like coming onto our podcast and talking to us about this and also like helping us improve our podcast process so that hopefully our next guest is not so lost. I feel like you are like, directing a lot of the conversations like oh brenda's the host oh, no. <laughs> season three actually it's brenda's podcast <laughs> i'm flattered uh, thanks so much for having me yeah do you want to like promote any oh, yeah. of your socials uh yeah so i have an instagram where i kind of just share my regular everyday life so if you're curious it is at the book of brenda And then I also have a YouTube channel called The Book of Brenda as well. Um, Currently that one, uh, I'll be heading to Japan soon actually, so I'll probably just be uh, showing little clips and videos of my life there. But if, you know, I get messages or have questions about maybe best practices of how to be a citizen of the internet and best practices for cybersecurity and keeping ourselves and our information protected, I might make a video about that. If anyone asks, yeah, <laughs> if part anyone asks, two. I might not. Part two, uh, where I just elaborated a little more. But yeah, thank you guys so much for having me. I always love your podcast talking Aww. about my favorite topics. I know we Aww. we actually ramble. We actually talk about this in our everyday conversations too, <laughs> about media, psychology, yeah. marketing, and and how we how the internet keeps evolving. It's a very fascinating subject. I'm sure there's like a college major on it by now. I mean, specifically on the internet. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Like every time you like mentioned an episode, I was like, "Wow, she listened to that one." Thanks for listening to Internet Aesthetic. The music for this podcast is "Rose Ornamental" by Blue Dot Sessions. If you enjoyed listening, you can find us on Instagram at net.aesthetic or leave us a voice message at anchor.fm/internetaesthetic. We hope you join join us again next week. Bye.